Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast. This is episode 245. Uh, If that was a weight uh, class, you'd be probably on the bigger end of most Jiu-Jitsu people. Uh, Today we're talking about big grapplers and small grapplers and mixing them and and dealing with those sort of things. My name is Byron. I'm here with my buddies, Gary and Joe. Hey, Gary, how's it going? Oh, it's going fabulous. Uh, I can't complain. I'm ready to uh, have an awesome episode today. Fabulous. I love the, uh, yeah, you don't hear that one every day and uh, I get Gary just got well, his nails know, done. I'm, I'm, I'm a little flamboyant, you know that. Oh yeah, and uh, Joe, how are you today? Marvelous. <laughs> oh, we got marvelous and fabulous. Man, I was just going to say yep. doing well, but uh, you guys got me beat. Yep. Yeah, life's good down on the Gulf Coast here. So, oh, good. Ready to rock and roll and and do this podcast with y'all. I know we've all had experiences with grappling with somebody who was either much larger or much smaller. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on the last show, and uh, we're kind of in the middle range. I feel it depends on which gym you walk into and and that sort of thing. But uh, it's, I think we all be able to offer advice for both categories. If you're uh, a small person you might be thinking, yes, this is the perfect show for me. I'll learn how to take down these big people. Well, maybe. Maybe a few tips on that. But also, if you're a big person, uh, I really want you to get something out of this as far as being able to grapple with the smaller people and still learn jujitsu and work on your game and not just feel like you just went to a kid's class and rolled with people who are 100 pounds less than you. Uh, I think we could uh, accomplish both those today. That's the kind of the goal. Yeah, but I actually like going to the kid's class because – I actually do pretty well in that class. You know, I, I get a couple of submissions, you know, I get tapped out a couple times, but normally I get one or two more submissions than I do uh, tap outs than getting tapped out. Yeah. You're always kind of playing games in those classes, Gary. Well, I don't mean to, you know, it's re- I really want to just roll, you know, to establish my dominance, but a lot of times <laughs> the teacher does do games. Well, that setup didn't work at all. Uh, Today, I want to mention uh, that we have an audiobook called Six Games for BJJ. Uh, They're training games. (laughs) I missed that one, Byron. (laughs) Alley-oop and the miss. (laughs) Yeah, right down the middle of the plate, and I swung and missed. Yeah, just uh, want to quickly mention this. It's about an hour or so long. It's $5.99. And if you're uh, training and looking maybe for some ways to explore your own game and maybe find things that are on the outer limits of what you're doing and and just figure out what to do from certain positions. These games will kind of bring that out in you. And they're designed to do these games while you're rolling, while you're live training, just changing the your kind of the modes and, and the goals you're working towards uh, while you're grappling. And you'll see things that you don't normally see. You could you could roll every day the same way, and you know you'll be you'll get better at jujitsu, of course. But when you kind of tinker with things, experiment a little bit, set some limits with what you're doing, uh, you'll find. Uh, parts of your game you didn't really know were there. And the great thing is, it's going to fit your game. And that's what these are designed to do. There'll be a link in the show notes. Six BJJ training games. And they're fun. Like Gary with the kids class. He's having fun and uh, learning jiu-jitsu. Trying not to get armbar by kids. 
You know, I can give a testament to your uh, six games for BJJ. It has definitely helped my game. It has made me better. Um, definitely check it out. I think you'll like it, and uh, I think it'll help your game, which is the most important. Yep, it's all about getting better. So since I uh, listened to Byron's book, I've been going left-handed a lot. So I, I'm with Gary. It's helped <laughs> my game out, and I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of a okay. what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> oh. oh man, can't even make the simplest and most innocent of statements on this podcast without getting grief from you yeah, guys. Yeah, that's. <laughs> hey Joe, so... Joe, at least at least you didn't swing and miss. You know when Byron set you up perfectly. Oh, uh, that's funny. Um, I uh, we like to talk about off the mat lessons, or maybe an on the mat lesson we take off the mat with us and. And this is kind of a side lesson, I think. Um, and I just, I've mentioned this before on the show, but it just happened to, to be relevant to me again. I keep a little written record, call it a, like a journal, of times I'm injured or sick or anything that happens to me like that. I also keep it for my wife. She doesn't, I, I do it for her because she doesn't, you know, she doesn't do that. But if she gets the flu and, and, June or in January or whatever, I'll write that down. And maybe next year we get if she gets it again, how long it took her to get better, whatever. But for Jiu-Jitsu, we're getting kind of bumped up and uh, accumulating a few injuries from here and there. And sure enough, uh, about last week or so, I guess it's been almost two weeks, I kind of popped my lower back while attempting a sweep. Not the worst of my lower back uh, injuries I've gotten. It just kind of popped, and then it was sore the next day, and it, I, I missed almost a whole week of just uh, trying to just be extra careful. It never felt like it was the worst. But I, I go to my uh, little uh, injury journal, and I open it up, and I write down the date, and I write, tweak lower back, trying to do a sweep, and then I put the date. And then I came back, and I put the date that it was basically 90% better. And so now I have that kind of record of what happened, how long it took to get better. And then kind of the cool thing is it feels like I constantly am tweaking my lower back. Like every every six months, every three months, four months, whatever. It feels like it's a lot more often. I look back, it was almost a year to the day. It was April 21st uh, last year. And, and this year, we're, we're recording this podcast a bit ahead of time. It was at the end of April when I tweaked my back. So it was. <laughs> April's not a lucky month for my lower back, evidently, but it's not constantly. It's not uh, you know something that happens every couple of months. I got a whole year in between that, and I couldn't. I'm looking up further down the record there, but it's not a not like a constant problem. And I think that helps you track things. And if you tweak your knee or uh, you know you something happens on your body, write it down, and you can see if there's a pattern or see okay, it's always my left knee, or it's always when I'm doing this technique, and that'll help you either avoid those or address those or even just dealing with that frustration to know okay you know it's going to take about 10 days for this to get better so just i have a heads up i've done this before i wrote it down and i remember because well not really remember i could reference that and i think that's something that we should all be doing i strongly recommend it uh, make a little pain journal <laughs> injury journal and uh, just keep track of uh, what's happening to you on the mats or, you know, in life uh, if you're getting sick or you might be able to figure out that you have an allergy to something every springtime. You, you know, the first time pollen shows up, you get, you know, you miss a day at work or something like that. That's uh, something that would be nice to be able to tell your doctor when you finally go in, hey, you know, here's what's been happening to me the last couple of years. <laughs> but it's super easy. Basically, free get a piece of paper and uh, track what's happening with your body and what's causing it. 
you know, Byron, I wonder if, like you said, it was April 21st, two years ago, and then end of April this year. I wonder if it's due to, like I noticed over the winter time, you know, you don't do as much and you pack on pounds. <laughs> and I wonder if it's, you know, as soon as the weather starts getting better, you're going a little bit harder and you haven't shed that winter weight yet. I wonder if that has something to do with it. Yeah, I'm trying to get that beach body for Wichita, Kansas back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Iron yeah, with a beach body. <laughs> I do think it was just coincidence, but it does. It, when it popped, I was instantly frustrated. There it goes again, and I expected it to look on my my entries here, and it to be about six months ago when I last heard it. And it was a full year. Yeah, and I was well. Was that's not so this, bad. Yeah, was it in the same spot? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's see, that, that's I, good to know too. Yeah, I do the same thing, but I don't keep that pain journal, which would I think would be a good idea because I feel like I do it every year, and and it's always the same spot. It's always my lower left hand side, and I wonder if it's really instead of a year, if it's a year and a half, and it's not a big a deal as I think it is. Yeah, and looking at my pain journal, most of them are uh, groin injuries caused by carry. <laughs> oh, and you're you're the one complaining about Joe talking about the left hand. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I'm just I'm just looking at what's what's happening here and there seems to be a pattern. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But do you know any patterns beforehand? And what I mean by that is like I see there seems like every time I hurt my back, I always have like maybe sore hamstrings or tight hamstrings where I'm feeling it that day or, or for a couple of days before, like, you know, maybe I had a really tough, you know, workout and yeah. my hamstrings were sore. And it seems like the one thing I've noticed is even not writing a journal is it seems like whenever I see that there's a better chance I'm going to hurt my back. So now, you know, I've kind of put it in my head that anytime my hamstrings are really, really sore, I need to warm up even more. I need to uh, really be careful, not put myself in some crazy spots and not really explode till my hamstrings are, are feeling okay. And that's an interesting uh, statement, Gary. I think it's amazing that you kind of discovered that about uh, yourself. I know I would not have. In my entry, I would have wrote, I noticed hamstring was sore a couple of days before this or, you know, the morning I got to, to work out. Yeah. And hopefully next time I, if I notice that happens, oh, that was it. I look on the notes and I see it happen again. And just anything you can learn about your own body, because it yeah. is unique, is going to help you stay on the mats longer and help you avoid injuries, avoid some of that frustration. And for me, I have to write this stuff down because yeah. I'm not going to remember when I did it and what it was like. Yeah. I, d I do like that idea, and I think I'm going to start doing it. But do you just write it down when you have an injury, or do you write, like, just keep a journal every day kind of saying how you're feeling? Or do you just put it down like, hey, I, I did April 28th, let's just say, I hurt my back today and, you know, doing this, and, you know, this is how I felt. So I do, I do write some things down almost every day, but in the back of this uh, little book I have, I have a thing, a page uh, I wrote down on the top of a pain journal. And then, okay. so I'm only looking at stuff that is actually bothering me physically. And uh, yes, okay. I miss, uh, I kind of mix up, you know, if I'm feeling kind of ill or uh, any of those types of things, but uh, it's, I know where to go because I, I couldn't filter through a whole year's worth of stuff to find when my last time I hurt my lower back. <laughs> yeah, I look at this, yeah, it's, it's like five sense. lines up and there it yep. is. And it's easy to see. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I'm going to steal that from you, Byron. I think that's a good idea. Well, don't steal and mine. I, make your own, Gary. I kind of need mine's personal to me. Byron, you take everything. <laughs> so literally, ah, <laughs> like that time I took your back. 
Literally. I got your back, I guess. Man, I butchered yeah. that one. Well, we're all uh, <laughs> setting <laughs> new records. For butchering. Well, that brings us to the quote of the week. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <laughs> I think there's some correlations to the quote and to uh, your life lesson, Byron. The quote is by Lenny Olson. It says, if you have committed a mistake in the day, make a note of it, learn about its cause, and respond appropriately to resolve it, and in turn, boost your confidence. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it's, it's important not just to note the, the mistake, but like uh, Lenny says, to to learn about, about its cause and uh, kind of do some investigation and figure out why you might have made that mistake so you can avoid that later. Um, and, I, and I do think that correlates to your pain journal, like Gary was talking about. Look at what's going on a day or two before, if there was any uh, uh, maybe warning signs that you could note. And, and yeah, by keeping track of that and analyzing it, you can avoid things in the future that'll uh, may cause you injuries. Yeah, I really like this quote, and I think it does go just like what you're saying, Joe, with that pain journal we we're just talking about. And it made me think of a little conversation I was having today with uh, one of my training partners, and we were training uh, Thursday night, and he ended up taking mount and grabbed my head, like going for a guillotine, and I didn't really defend. I thought I could sneak out the back door and thought I was going to be okay. I, I kind of let him get that position and thought I was okay, and, you know, 30 seconds later, I was tapping quickly. And, you know, I thought about it, and, I, you know, after we got done rolling, and, you know, I was just sitting alone, you know, and, and like Lenny says, you know, I committed a mistake, I'm making a note about it, I'm learning about its cause, and I'm trying to respond appropriately. So I was just thinking, I was like, you know, I was really lazy. I need to address when somebody gets into my danger zone instead of just thinking I can get out of everything. I, I was too lackadaisical. And, uh, you know, so that training partner, I was thinking about that afterwards and I was talking to him on Friday about it too, later on. And so we rolled today and the crazy thing was, uh, he was on the bottom and he tried to sweep and he exploded into me, but, uh, he was grabbing a single and his head was on the outside. And, uh, as soon as we hit the mat, uh, I grabbed a guillotine on him pretty quick and choked him. And we stopped for a second. He started thinking, and he's like, you know, I was really trying so hard to get out there, and I, I make that mistake with you a lot of times, and I end up getting guillotined. And it was funny because we both just stopped, you know, when I did it, made a note of it. He did the same thing, made a note of it, talked about his cause, and we were figuring out ways to respond appropriately so we want to get hit again with that same same maneuver. But, uh, yeah, I think this uh, jiu-jitsu or anything in life, uh, this is a great quote. Yeah. Gary, would you say that that's one of the best things about jiu-jitsu is being able to make a mistake, learn from it, and keep going? Yeah, that's, you know, that's what I love so much about jiu-jitsu is we're always going to make mistakes. And when you're going against a, a very good grappler or a good grappler and you make a mistake, you're going to pay for it. And it's, it's such a fun game because then you, as Lenny says, you, you make a note of it, you think about its cause, you respond appropriately. So then what you try to do is you have to figure out another way to take the back or to get the sweep without exposing your head, your arm, or whatever you expose. So it's kind of neat because you're never going to take that same path to grandma's house. You're always, uh, <laughs> you know, there's always going to be different goblins and everything jumping out of the path. And, you know, everybody's got a different way to keep you from getting to grandma's house. And you want to get to grandma's house because you want those cookies. So you're going to find a way to get there so uh that's that's what i think is so great about jujitsu even if you have to go over the river and through the woods you're gonna get to grandma's <laughs> house yep we're going to grandma's 
I've never heard that one before. <laughs> but the, I, I like I explained that. And, yeah, you know, uh, I told you I wasn't a typical normal person. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go outside the lines a little bit, Byron. And that's what you have to do when when you're a smaller grappler grappling with one of the bigger people on the mats. Uh, you're gonna have to find a different way to grandma's house <laughs> in order to yeah, get the just, job done. You're gonna have to change a little bit of what you're doing. Yeah, and think about it. Like Joe said, you know, you're smaller. You need to get over the bridge and through the woods to grandmother's house because when you get to grandmother's house, you get cookies, and then maybe you'll get bigger. Oh. Yeah. You were playing a small man game on the way to grandma's house, but when you leave, you're playing a big man's game. <laughs> Grandma takes care of you. Oh, man. This is, uh, this is already deeper than I thought it would ever be. Uh, so as we transition here to the idea of uh, big grapplers and small grapplers, uh, I just kind of want to set the, the ground and, and kind of determine... What are we talking about? Like, what size difference actually starts to matter? For you guys, maybe, personally, what do you feel? And then maybe just for the average person, I don't know. Um, Joe, when do you feel like you take note of somebody's size difference? Well, I I think one thing that's got to be considered is fitness level. Um, You know, a a guy that's just bigger than you by 30 pounds, but it's because he's he's carrying just extra weight. It's probably not going to have that much advantage over you. But if if you're pretty fit and he's pretty fit and he outweighs you by thirty pounds of muscle, I certainly think that's significant. Um, I don't I don't think ten or fifteen pounds is too significant. Uh, when it comes to getting crushed, I think probably two fifty, two sixty, uh, the total weight. I think that's when I, I'm really thinking a guy's a big guy. Yeah, I'm thinking just a little less than you, Joe. I think 20 pounds is about when I really start feeling the difference. Uh, you can just tell the you're, you're on the mat with somebody that much more stronger than you, that much bigger than you, and uh, and that's when I, I feel like I start feeling it. Yeah. I think the, the idea of getting crushed, there's a, a minimum there that they need to get, and it's typically not a lot less than me, which sounds weird. But in in a bad position, you could be ten pounds smaller than me and be crushing me, and it is miserable. And and yes, that's easier to do if you're bigger than me. But uh, I I've been crushed by by a lot of people who are of similar size than me. And a lot of times I'll roll with bigger guys, and I just won't let them get to that position, and I don't have to feel that yeah. crushing pressure. Sometimes I think the people your own size are the better at crushing. You know, they have. It seems like better technique. They've really worked on that part of their game. And I've had some guys my size, 10 pounds smaller, that get onto me and crush me. And some of the bigger guys, I mean, I'm still getting crushed. They may be 70, 75 pounds heavier, but I just don't feel like that technique is as good as that that smaller person. When you're, I think sometimes when you're bigger, unless you have similar size training partners, you may not you're always feeling bad for your training partner. So you, you may not be working that as much, uh, you know, just that smothering, uh, you know, side control. I, I think that's absolutely true. And I tell, uh, like big new guys, uh, some of them you don't have to tell they're just bulldozers. But, uh, if I, if I roll with a guy that's been rolling a few months and he's got side control and I don't feel any pressure, you know, I, I try and look and see how he can improve and tell him that, uh, he should hear me breathing heavy and talking different when he's 
got that position. Yeah, you guys make interesting points. And a couple episodes back, we talked to Moku, heavyweight, uh, black belt competitor, uh, top-notch guy. And he talked about not being comfortable competing in the absolute division because uh, he doesn't crush his training partners. And so now he's worried about bringing that kind of same style into competition and not being able to turn that switch on to just smash the smaller competitor in the absolute division. Uh, It's not uh, something that he could just turn on and turn off. He's going to go, he'll naturally, he's worried, he'll go a little bit less than he could because he's used to rolling with smaller people in a more polite manner. And uh, it's an interesting thing to hear from a top-level black belt competitor say that, but um, I I see how that could happen. Yeah, I could see how that could happen. And and I always kind of feel bad for the big guy. Um, you know, everybody's always saying, I know Joe and I, and we were talking about it last week, you know, don't use your use your your weight. You know, you're too big. And it's, I don't know, I just feel bad because if you use all your weight, people are like, hey, that's a disadvantage. You're cheating almost. Uh, and then on top of that, if you get tapped out by somebody littler, everybody's talking about it. You roll with that guy. People are watching it. And it just seems like sometimes people want to see you get tapped out. And, uh, you know, I, I just, it's just a tough situation. I think sometimes I wouldn't really wouldn't want to be in that situation. Sometimes you feel bad about using your strength. And, and Byron, I remember talking to you a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the big guy we roll with and, and, uh, you know, he just likes to get position and, and hold it. And he's darn good at holding it. He's heavy, he's strong, he's fit, he's athletic. And I remember you were saying, it's like, Hey, uh, people would probably roll with you more if you, you know, reverse position every now and then let people sweep you, put yourself in some bad positions. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I think there's a little dilemma with people, you know, larger people rolling. Yeah, they they are playing a different game on the mats and uh, socially, like next to the mats. And if they they mess it up, that's going to affect their training. And and the guy that Gary's talking about, super nice guy, very polite. And the thing I like about him is he's he's trying really hard, but I could tell he's not trying to actually do damage to me. Uh, that that quite that intensity isn't quite there to where. I feel like he's trying. He's training safely with me, and he's respecting the fact that you know I don't want to get injured <laughs> doing this. But he's trying really hard. He's just being safe with it. And yeah, we'll we'll get onto that a little bit about, about talking to these people and kind of getting them to understand what's going on. But yeah, him playing the same game over and over again isn't really helping him a ton either. But uh, back to the original thing, really. Around to me, around thirty pounds difference, I start to notice the, the weight pretty significantly. And like Joe said, uh, you know how good of a shape they're in is a big deal. You know, you could be big and not be all that strong, and and you could be you know about my size and be way stronger than me. And, uh, and those are those are different things. It's that's I, think, I guess that's kind of what's nice about having a variety of people to train with because it helps you understand by sometimes even by looking at somebody what they're going to be able to do you know like if you're if you happen to find yourself in a in a somebody is is kind of coming at you um off the mat and and they look aggressive you know i rolled with like eight people that look just like you physically and i I have an idea if he pushes me how far i'm going to fall back i understand if he grabs a hold of my head what's going to feel like and and just kind of give you that ground 
rule of understanding um, what this person is capable of doing physically. And uh, I think that's a lesson that we don't always appreciate. So let's just say you guys are are grappling with uh, one of the bigger uh, guys or gals on the mat, and it's a it's a pretty good role, pretty competitive, and and you both are working pretty hard. Um, what positions, what techniques are you looking to go for, and why? Well, I'm not going to uh, concede a bottom position if I don't have to. Um, I, I like playing from top if I'm playing with a bigger guy. If I'm playing from the bottom. I really put a lot of focus on frames. If I'm bottom side control, I try and, uh, you know, block the hip, uh, get my knee in there if I can and start working a guard back. And, uh, I think probably, uh, full guard is the safest position for me if I'm on bottom with the big guy. You know, I'm kind of the opposite of Joe there. I mean, I do like to get top position against the big guys. That's where I want to be. But sometimes I, I uh, actually a lot of the times I just I pull half I get into half guard I feel comfortable in half guard I feel like I have good sweeps in half guard that I can get myself on top and I think sometimes like in I I guess because a lot of the big guys I roll with are are super big uh, you know uh, Byron knows my old training partner was probably two hundred and eighty pounds and uh, I'd never even like to get on his back because if he would roll. You know, if he was turtled and I tried to take his back from there, he would roll. And it was almost like a, you know, a, a dump truck, a street paper <laughs> going over the top of me. And uh, so. And you guys would roll think, hard. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons, uh, you know, I'm trying to preserve my safety. And uh, I feel, you know, that I've got good frames, as Joe was talking about, in half guard. Uh, I feel like I can, you know, come out the back door or get some sweeps there and get to the top position, which is my goal is to uh, to get up top. But sometimes it, it backfires. Uh, they do pass my half guard, and uh, then I'm in trouble, and I'm like, why did I pull a half guard? Gary, are you but, using uh, like a, a just, knee I, shield at all in the half guard? Or Yeah, I'm using a knee shield. I'm using a knee shield. Um, but, you know, I'm not just trying to – sit in half i'm trying to dig an underhook i'm trying to sit up from there and I, I really like the old school sweep so i'm trying to uh sweep from there um but uh sometimes that knee shield uh you know gets passed and uh then i'm in major trouble yeah but it, I, it's funny because that does ha- happen as soon as i feel that pass coming against a really big guy all of a sudden in my head i'm just like oh man <laughs> and you're just i'm just scrambling <laughs> any way to get out of there before it gets set i think this is interesting because you know, we had an interview with Brandon Mullins a while back, and he talked a little bit about grappling with the bigger people. And it came down to, to playing your A game against them. And as as Joe describes his favorite techniques against bigger people, and, and so does Gary, uh, I would never pull half guard on a bigger person. Uh, to me, half guard's a miserable person with miserable position with people my own size. I, it's not something that I'm good at. It's uncomfortable, and I'm generally not doing well if I'm in the bottom half. Uh, but, you know, Gary survives and thrives there. It's just a position he's better at. And so really, if you're looking at your game and none of it does well against bigger people, well, you also have to compare skill level too. But someone in the same or less skill, because the people even with less skills will be giving you a hard time. You maybe should develop a, a stronger part of your game that is going to match up well against them. Uh, you know, we talk about every here, and I'm on the same page, prefer to be on top when you're rolling with a bigger person. It's great to be on top. Hard to do sometimes. Uh, you know, some of those signals are really tough too. 
some one of my easiest ones is to like pull guard. It's actually a fake guard pull, and then come up with a foot. And, uh, it, and there are so people pulling guard on them because they don't want to battle for the takedown. And then when you stand back up with the foot, they're kind of surprised and like, oh, and I'm, I'm playing guard. Uh, that's one of my. It's kind of a surprise-ish thing. But uh, a fake guard pull has been really well for me. And I do, you know, Gary talks about, Gary's example is a bit extreme. The guy, he was, he was 280-ish pounds, very athletic. Like, I I don't know how to picture a much stronger of a person than that. But uh, he didn't like, Gary didn't like to be on his back. I I prefer to be on someone's back when they're bigger than me uh, over mount or side. It's just, I feel like it it takes their strength largely out of the picture but when their size their their volume of of person that they are can smash you like gary was experiencing sometimes that kind of changes it as well yeah that's a good point byron i think it's all you know our experiences that we've had against people like i said you know back control is a great position to be in but i guess that was my first really big guy i ever rolled with and and i rolled with him a lot like and i would get back and i would get steamrolled uh, you know, when he'd roll over and I just, uh, just felt like I got run over by a truck. So I kind of stopped, stopped doing that. And it's probably because that was my first experience with a, with a really, you know, bigger grappler. Um, but I like going back to like what Brandon Mullins was saying and what you said there, Byron is, you know, it does make sense. We are going to, and I never thought about it. Half guard is my favorite position. You know, Joe likes top position, you know, Byron, you like, uh, Whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You'll but, finally get the grapple with me one of these days, and I'll be in a position yeah, I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it does make sense. We we've got something that a position we like, and the one thing I notice about my half guard is a lot of times I can get away without good frames, but when I'm going against a larger individual, I have to really concentrate on framing. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about strategy. We talked about some positions and some techniques, but uh, would you guys say that uh, the Bigger guys likely to tire a little quicker. Would you think that uh, coming at a big guy and just staying really busy, if you're a smaller guy, would be a good tactic? You know, it goes back to the experiences. Uh, the two big guys I grapple with all the time, those guys do not tire, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you don't expect it. I mean, these guys are machines. And what I find happens to me is I like to stay busy. I'm that guy who always likes to just throw submission after submission after submission out. And when I'm going with these guys, I tire so much quicker than regularly. And, you know, I'm so worried about not getting passed that my submissions don't come up as often. And maybe that's one of the reasons why they're not tiring. Like I noticed uh, the more, like as Joe said, I'm moving and, and looking to finish the game. Uh, people get tired or quicker and maybe I'm so worried about, you know, keeping the pass happening that, uh, I'm not, you know, throwing up as many submissions, you know, cause I, I, I do have a habit of throwing up submissions and letting somebody pass or, or get a better position. I'm more worried about the submission versus position, which is actually kind of backwards. I don't want to get overly excited about somebody getting tired. I mean, uh, I'm not competing here. I'm, I'm training hard in a classroom setting. If somebody's tired, sit out around, and I, you know, let's roll when you're not huffing and puffing and, and trying to catch your breath. Uh, making some uh, uh, to grab those house, little Goldilocks. <laughs> but 
and, and skill comes into play here. It's not necessarily fair for everybody to hear this, but uh, I'd rather win the positional battle while they're fresh, while, while they have what they have available for them and defeat that. Um, yeah, a smaller person can keep up the pace as long as they're not getting crushed. And sometimes they'll, they'll wear out the person. And that's, you know, from a strategic point of view, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good strategy. And I would say if you're able to do that, that's great because what happens to the smaller person is the pace can't be kept up, not because they're tired, because they're being smashed and they're being pinned down to the ground. If you're able to move and, and keep things moving, you're doing well. You're keeping your frames. You're keeping, you know, you get more attempts at things than if you're getting smashed. There's not a lot of excitement you're going to create, not a lot of movement you're going to be able to make and get the person to get tired. It's pretty easy to smash somebody for five, 10 minutes. What I see sometimes, uh, you're talking about that, Byron, of getting smashed. Um, I notice if I'm getting smashed really bad, I tire quicker. And I, I think a lot of it, I mean, first of all, some of it's from pressure. But I think I, I break a little bit mentally, too. You know, you're just so sick of being on the bottom, not being able to get out. You're wasting energy. And then pretty soon you're your mind just, you know, falls off a cliff, uh, you know, not positive things are happening in your mind. And I do find, you know, sometimes I start breaking a little bit mentally if I'm, you know, just on the bottom and just getting smashed for so long and which in turn is going to make me tired quicker. And, uh, which is, uh, not a very good situation to start losing it mentally and being tired against a larger individual. So, uh, you say that Gary, but I want to put it in proper context. Uh, Gary trains a lot without a timer, where I'll train with somebody for a five-minute round, and yeah, two minutes left. The big guy's got good position. This is going to be miserable. Wait, but we it's two have minutes. timers. <laughs> there is a timer, Byron. Some people even have some on their phones, which are like a digital telephone where they have apps and they can have different things on there. But the phone doesn't ring at a certain time. It makes a little uh, announcement or a little sound effect. But uh, you know, when when you're in a basically a time limitless round. Uh, you don't necessarily go to you submit somebody. It's not what Gary's doing here. They're going to tell, you know, you say, hey, that's good. Let's let's take a break or let's just yeah. roll somebody else. And that could be 30 minutes. That could be 10. It could be an hour. And you don't want to be in bottom side control and say, hey, I'm good here, man. Let's, let's get a drink of water. You want to get to a neutral position and propose that idea or even a dominant well, Hey, let's take a break, man. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm tired of having a mount on you. <laughs> well, so. I can tell you I rolled with a very big guy here a couple weeks ago, and we went for two hours straight. No water breaks. And I'm telling you, I guarantee you I was on top for maybe four minutes. And we were in neutral position for probably an hour and 20 minutes. And I was probably totally on the bottom, either mounted in under mount or under side control for probably 30 minutes. That was a brutal day. But that's that's um, like you have more opportunity to be kind of broken mentally and frustrated because – the timer is not going to save you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I wish there was a timer to save you. But you also make a good point. You were just talking about, let's just say you're not going with a timer. And, you know, there's been times where I've been on the bottom, you know, maybe mentally broke, and I just want the round to end. And let's say you're not playing with a timer. And, you know, normally you always say you have to get submitted. I don't know. I never stop unless I get submitted or I submit somebody, or if I'm on the bottom, you know, like kind of like what you said, Byron, I'll sweep to get to top position. I'll try to get to a top or a neutral position, and they'll be like, hey, man, let's get a drink real quick. 
Uh, one more thing kind of about the, uh, I don't know, strategy or different way of thinking about it. Uh, an easy example, I think, to explain is ar- arm drag from guard or from butterfly guard. Uh, I like this this technique a lot. It's a good way to get to the back. If I'm going to arm drag uh, somebody my own size or smaller, I really try to get them to turn. And, and, and I'll meet them halfway. If they're a lot smaller than me, I'll, I'll just basically stay on my butt and I'll rotate them and I'll get their back that way. But if they're bigger than me, I have to move around them. And so just the idea of I have the luxury of making them move or I have to get up and move around somebody, that's a recurring theme when you're rolling with somebody of a significantly different size. Yeah, that that's definitely. And, and Joe, I want to ask you a question. Um, you know, me and Joe are a little bit older than the average grappler. And Joe, what age did you start at? I started when I was 37, but then after a year due to life circumstances, I took a break, started again at 44. Okay. And I'm 51 now. Okay. Cause I started at 35, 36. And you know, the one thing I think about bigger guys and, and I do see some of my younger teammates, you know, in their twenties, young thirties and, they can use their speed aspect against the bigger guy. And Joe and I starting later and being now we're both 51 years old. Like I am so slow. It's unbelievable. Like, you know, I don't think I could be faster than anybody out there on the mat. And, you know, I think that's, I don't know. I just see the, the young guys just, you know, almost going around in circles of these big guys They're you know, they're slower and, and they make up for it. And, you know, I think, uh, as you get older, we don't, you know, that's another, another skill set we lose to try to, uh, you know, take on the bigger individual. Yeah, that's definitely a, a tool for a smaller guy to use. And it, and it's uh, there again, it's just staying busy. Even if you're not it, looking to Good tire point. the guy out, if, uh, I mean, there's some of the smaller guys and, and fit young guys that I, uh, grapple with. And I seriously feel like every time I turn into them, they're <laughs> not there. You know, and then I got to try and turn and spin and like, I'm always a half step behind and, yep. and certainly they're, they're just busy, busy, busy. And I'm playing uh catch up all the time. Yeah. Those are the people that, that really get me the, the really fast people. And I, I, they always feel like they're four or five steps ahead of me. I never know where they're at and I can't catch up. So something that's important for uh, the smaller people to realize that you may not notice uh, that the that they do have an advantage training with the the larger or stronger training partners because you are really getting a super training partner. You're getting it, 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 you, you know if you could plus you know five points to their size or or to their skill or to their speed, you're going to train against somebody who's got advantages over you, which really uh, gives you a training partner that is kind of supercharged versus you. And you know whether you could hang with them or not, uh, skill level is a different thing, but just just getting that person to train with is good for your training if you can do it safely. But on the reverse end of it, if you're if you weigh sixty pounds more than everybody else in the class, all of your training partners are kind of taken down a notch, and you've you're going to suffer some of those consequences of, of basically not training with anybody your own size, anybody your own strength, and definitely not like a supercharged training partner or somebody who's a lot bigger, stronger than you. And that does have effects on your development on the mats yeah my my advice to the big guy that finds himself in that predicament is just take a few uh a few minutes of each roll or a portion of each roll and just 
you know, with, with a, a guy about your uh, skill level anyway, not a new guy, but take a few minutes and work on that heavy game. And um, I think your teammates will understand that you got to develop that part of your jujitsu. Just as long as I don't have to be the the volunteer. <laughs> Some people mind it more than others. I mean, I, I know we have a lot of uh, kind of medium-sized guys at Fox Fitness who don't mind getting kind of smashed by the bigger ones. Um, and Yeah, so find, find one of those guys for a round each night and, and work on your pressure. Yeah, that, and that's a tremendous opportunity to do that. And, and, and when the bigger person shows up and is, they're new, that's – that is awesome for you. The one thing you don't want to do, which happens, I think, all the time, is to see who's bigger and stronger and run them out of there. So you're still the big dog in the class. Uh, you know, if you're 280 pounds and another guy, 280, 290, 300 pounds shows up, that's going to be your best training partner that you can get yep. in about a year. If you decide to just beat him down and show him that you're the boss uh, and run him out of there, you just made a huge mistake as far as the development of your jujitsu. You need to exchange phone numbers, and if he's not coming in for a month, to call him and see what's happening. And you need to pick and, him up. Yeah, pay, this is this is your dues. partner. Yeah, yeah. Well, it made me think about what Joe said earlier. You know, uh, you were talking about not run that guy away. We never want to run anybody away, but you know that could be a great partner. And I was thinking about what Joe said earlier when he's training with somebody who's kind of new or, and they're inside mountain, Joe doesn't feel any pressure. Joe's going to, you know, work with that guy and say, Hey, here's how to put some pressure. He's going to, he's going to be on the receiving end of taking that pressure and help him out. And it's just, you know, it's just makes your room so much better. It makes your team so much better when you've got people like that who, who are going to help you out or, or people like we're just, Byron is just talking about a big guy who's going to realize that that's going to be his best training partner. Let's keep that guy in here. It's going to help me. It's going to help that guy. And then it's going to help the whole room. Everybody just get better exponentially and literally. <laughs> you know, this is, this is way off the beaten path, but as you were talking, Gary, about the big guy and the new guy, and we've got some new guys at our gym at home and they're younger guys. They look like they've been big their whole life. And uh, one of them should have crushed me and didn't. And we talked about it a little bit. And I wonder for some of these kids, if, if they've been told their whole life, you know, you got to be careful. You're the big guy. Don't, uh, you know, don't be aggressive. And, you know, I, I wonder if it's uh, ingrained in some of them. It seems hard to break them with the habit. Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably true. I bet it is ingrained in some. And, and Joe, you probably see it too, like I do. Um, you know, some of these younger guys, they go really, really soft with us. Um, you know, they, they know we're a little bit older and, uh, you know, I'll tell guys sometimes it's like, Hey, you can turn it up. I'm going to roll exactly how you do. Uh, I'm not as gentle as some of the other teammates are making fun of my age, you know, seem to think I am. So, uh, I, I just think there's a lot of polite people out there, you know, they, they don't want to use their strength or their size or, or they don't want to beat up the old guy. Yeah, and then after the round, they say, are you okay, sir? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> I think one of the the easiest things to do if you're a bigger person and you're wanting to actually uh, work on your jujitsu and not just uh, have kind of, I guess, a boring role or non-competitive smash role is to pull guard. And work on your guard. Again, referencing the the interview with Moku a couple of weeks ago, he was a guard player because 
he didn't want to rely on his strength to get better at jiu-jitsu. And now look at him. He's great at jiu-jitsu. Um, pull guard and work on that a little bit. And, you, you know, if, if you're the person who's been coming to class and never pull guard because you're you know, 100 pounds bigger than everybody, people will be surprised at first. And, yes, your guard is not going to be that good. But you have a lot of room for growth in that area, and it's it's going to be a tremendous jump in your actually uh, your jujitsu knowledge because uh, you know you have you have something that hasn't been worked on. But it just the idea when a big guy pulls guard and they didn't have to uh, in a, in a training setting, it just sets a tone for okay. It's not that he's not going to try; it's that he's not going to try to use his strength or size. Uh, and yeah, it, it, and then try a technical sweep or try like a nicely set up submission. You're not just kind of bullying me over and getting on top. Uh, you're trying to use your technique and, and try to set up the, the things that you've learned and not use your power and strength. But it's just from the bottom position with a guard, any guard, uh, it, it just, I think it just forces you to lose a lot of that size advantage from the get go. That's why the, to- the big guys like to play top game versus each other because they do have a size advantage and that's to play top is is to use it hey we've been talking about the big guys uh, i think it's time to to talk about the the smaller individuals and uh you know the trials and tribulations they go through was that better joe <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> you said this that better <laughs> <laughs> i butchered our last uh, uh segue so i had to try a little try it again yeah, it's is different for uh, the smaller people. Obviously, I think they're easier to sympathize with, not synthesize with. <laughs> uh, I think it's a lot of this has to be handled uh, next to the mat, not necessarily on the mat. While you're rolling with somebody, it's a little bit hard sometimes to deal with that, and so uh, it could be the role of a coach or just you as as somebody saying that for yourself and saying, "Hey." Uh, you know, let's say somebody's hundred pounds bigger than me or 60 or whatever. And, you know, I did tweak my back last week, or I guess it's been two weeks ago. And Hey, do you want to roll? You know what? I'm going to sit out this round, uh, with you. I'm sorry. Maybe next week or maybe next time, uh, it kind of tweaked my lower back or I'm just, I'm not feeling it today or I'm already pretty exhausted and, and man, I know you're going to take it to me. Any of those, it's okay to say, no, thank you. And, and not in a demeaning way and, and not, not be rude to them, but just had rather not. Uh, it more than I feel like a handle right now. And and when they get this a few times, they might look on what they're doing and try to change that, or they might just you know grab somebody else and roll with them. But I do think it's it's perfectly okay to say, hey man, I, I don't really feel like rolling right now. Uh, but saying that, oftentimes if you kind of watch these bigger people play jujitsu. A lot of them are super safe. You know, I remember when my wife first started training, I'd match her up with, with uh, some big people, and she'd be looking over there, and she's like, this is the biggest guy in the class. Yeah, but it's going to be good. It's not gonna, he's not going to hurt. Don't worry. And she was, she was surprised. And sometimes those people that were much smaller than those people closer to her size were the ones that were being rough and not fun to roll with. And you can't judge a book by its cover, Gary. That's just another idiom that we used to throw out a whole bunch of those. <laughs> Yeah, you, you can't do that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, Byron. The the roughest role I've had in the last week or two was against a kid that was like 145 or 150 pounds. You know, and it was just 
rough cross face and and rude you know north south behavior <laughs> I mean, just, it was just nuts and so yeah you think the big guys are the one you have to worry about that they're gonna beat you up but sometimes it's that little guy and flying elbows and all kinds of uh, uh behavior that needs to be corrected yeah when when uh, north south behavior is kind of nuts <laughs> uh, you know Personally, I like rolling with people much smaller than me. Um, and I don't know. I just like to flow and try some crazy stuff I would never do. And, and I'll play a really loose game and and just keep it fun. That's really fun for me. But I do have a lot of my smaller training partners will tell me sometimes it's like, hey, Gary, please put some pressure on me. Like I, I think sometimes I I turn it into just such a flowing role and just trying stuff and you know, that I don't ever put pressure on them. Like I'll pass to, to side control and then I'll just let all the pressure up and let them catch me back into, into half or side or half or guard, wherever they want to go. And, and I, I've have had training partners correct me and it's like, Hey Gary, put, put some pressure on please. And, uh, so sometimes I, I'll just start going my normal way and then, uh, I'll, depending on how that person wants to go with me, I'll, I'll go there and, uh, try to put a little more pressure if they need it. But I think I am just trying to be nice. I try not to be that, that bully when, when I do outweigh somebody uh, tremendously. Yeah, and even when you're playing top, it's a good opportunity to work on a different style of play or different techniques. You know, I'll usually uh, cage the hips with a knee and an elbow and and try and control them that way and give them some space to move and uh, work on that style of play if I'm rolling with somebody smaller. That's a very good point, Joe. Yeah, try something different um, that you normally don't do in your A game. It's kind of almost going back to the six games for BJJ, um, you know, like going to going to your bad side, doing something a little bit different. And, uh, you know, just it'll make your overall game better. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking about uh, when I when my wife is training, I, I am her main training partner. She'll get to, on the mats and roll with other people, obviously, but – uh, I always roll with her, and just by that that one thing right there, um, she rolls with me more than anybody. And I and I have gotten into the habit of not rolling super hard against her, rolling kind of like Gary's describing, kind of a more playful style, and, and letting her do things and with that. And occasionally, I think you know what that's not necessarily the best for her. And then I'll try to well, kind of flip a switch and and yeah. be more aggressive and 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 put more pressure. And sometimes she responds, you know, great to it. And sometimes she gets frustrated by that. But I probably should just, hey, you know, this next five minutes, I want to roll a little bit more aggressively. Maybe just give her that little heads up. I don't know because it yeah. must seem random to her. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw today while you guys were rolling, you you turned it on a little bit, and she went for a, uh, a guillotine, and you were you were defending really well where she couldn't couldn't put it in, you know, couldn't finish it. And uh, that was a great sweep to mount she got onto you and finished that guillotine. And, and you were actually choking. But uh, what really impressed me is, like, you could just see the power of that sweep that she did. You well, know, What would you call like, that sweep, Gary? I would call it three men in a sweep or <laughs> two men, a lady in a sweep. Does that sound good? Did, did she get some assistance? <laughs> so Byron's rolling with her. And... Uh, but she's got Byron in a guillotine, and uh, Byron's defending really well, and she's in the guard, and you know, and I was rolling next to her with my training partner, and uh, you know, I told her to put a hook in and try to sweep, and she tried, but 
Byron's just uh, too big as we go into that point. So while Byron couldn't see because his head was stuck, me and my training partner came around and I helped the sweep. So uh, <laughs> it was pretty impressive. <laughs> that was a very nice sweep. <laughs> yep. The best, though, was when uh, she did get top mount and finished. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, I, you know what, saying all these things, not all submissions uh, versus big people are the same. Um, it, it, except from the bottom, like arm bar, I think you're going to get, sometimes you're going to get crushed. Triangle, sometimes you might experience some getting crushed. Omoplata, you're off to the side. You're kind of next to the person. Uh, crushing may not be the answer they look for. Uh, guillotine, um, I'm pretty comfortable trying that on bigger people. Sometimes they shoulder in and, and put some crushing pressure on. Um, just kind of explore the different methods that big people escape and, and find ones that uh, they can't really use their size as much. They have to fight the technique. Like a lot of leg locks. A lot of leg locks are highly technical, and their size is, is out of the play. Out of the play. I, re- yeah. I, I really think uh, chokes work great against big guys. I, I, I always call chokes an equal opportunity uh, uh, submission. You know, they're going to work on anybody. And once you've got your arm wrapped around, and, and sometimes I think being the smaller person, is better to choke. I mean, I've got a training partner who weighs like 120 pounds and his arms are so small. Like, I think I got my chin tucked. I think I got control and that arm fits through. And, and, you know, some of my bigger training partners, their arms are so big. They can't even like, though they can crush my head, but they can't really get to my neck. But, uh, I do think, uh, you know, chokes, guillotines, rear naked chokes are, are great submissions to use against, uh, larger individuals. Yeah, Gary, you ever hear of a guy named Helio Gracie? <laughs> Never heard of him. Who's he? Oh, oh, I, th- I thought maybe you might have. Uh, uh, yeah, he said for the choke, there are no tough guys. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's, uh, like you say, a big guy can power out of some of the other stuff. But uh, with the choke, you can sort of be off to the side a little bit. The Omoplata, that's a good one too, Byron, because you can put the submission on and have zero of your opponent's pressure on you. Yeah, and you're talking about chokes. There are no tough guys. I remember when Byron and I first started, we had another really big <laughs> guy that we trained with, and uh, the guy was mean and uh, cocky and mean and cocky and mean <laughs> and cocky. But uh, the the best I ever saw, and you know, everybody, me and Byron were the two bottom people in this class, and and there were very few people who trained back then. But he was saying how somebody could not rear naked choke him or, or he could just peel the arm off. And it was so great because Byron took him up on it and Byron, you know, got back position or back control. He gave me back control. I yeah. He gave I, that's it. how cocky he, he yeah. was. Yeah. And Byron put it on and, and this guy was like considered a God, like nobody could beat him or whatever until Jason Bertrand, came <laughs> which was great. But, um, it was great because, that guy's face was turning purple. He was about to go out, and I know Byron. He, the guy, got out of it. But I, I, I was watching. I know Byron let him out of it um, to to save his face a little bit. But uh, you know, and that's you know, really early in my career, we were probably in it two months at that point. And I just remember watching, you know, Byron, a hundred pounds lighter. Uh, you know, here's a very cocky guy. You just said he's so strong, he can get out of this move from no matter who puts it on him, and. And Byron was about to put him to sleep. Yeah, you know the whole that whole story. And I do remember, like he's gonna be pissed when when he taps yeah. and goes to sleep. <laughs> uh, you know, when rolling with the big guys I train with regularly, 
I'm good to go. I, if I catch them in something, I catch them. If they catch me, that's fine too. But when I don't know the person, I'm a little hesitant to tap a big guy that might just end up making him mad. Uh, I kind of want to see how they react to, to a little bit of adversity because, I, like I mentioned before, I don't like to roll people who feel like they want to hurt me. And, you know, if, if I am rolling with the guy I don't know, he's got maybe by 80 pounds, and I piss him off, that's a bad idea. <laughs> so I still find myself doing this today. I'll roll somebody I don't really know that well. They're a lot bigger than me, uh, and, you know, they're not terrible at jiu-jitsu. I'll, I'll probably just work mostly positions, and, and I won't really work that hard to submit them. And I don't know if that's the best thing to do, but I do think that it makes it a little safer for me to not really agitate them a ton. Man, I think that's great advice, and I don't think you have to only apply it to big guys. I actually anyway. roll roll with a guy that he, he's he's a nice guy, but he does not like to lose. He's small and he's quick, and he'll slap a submission on so quick you hardly have time to tap before you're in deep trouble. And uh, I, I've seen I've seen lower belts tapping before, and just thought, oh crap, that guy's in trouble now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that's great advice if you're not up for that type of grappling. And you're grappling with someone like that, just just roll smooth and easy and play for submit or positions and and uh, don't poke the bear. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You don't want that wounded cougar coming out. <laughs> so we're talking like it's the same thing, uh, somebody's size and strength, but they are two different things. You could be a very large person and not be all that strong. Um, if if you had a sedentary lifestyle, you never did anything you know physically as a younger person, you could be pretty big and not all that strong. Size is still a factor. Just just the bulk of somebody can become a big deal. It, you might find yourself like I can't go to close guard. This person is too large, or uh, your triangle may not be possible uh, because the, just the size of their shoulders. And there's a lot of instances where just the size of somebody, even if it is a strong and fit person, but they're much bigger, they're not using their strength, but they they can't not use your size. You, your size is just part of who you are. It's like being tall or short. It's easier to armbar people who have longer arms. You can't make your arms shorter. You have to just deal with that. Uh, so there's there's not just the, the issue of them being much stronger or much more powerful. Just some people are big. And and that's a factor. You you may get both hooks in and feel like I don't have any control of this person at all. Like they're able to still rotate their hips because uh, you know you just don't get that control that you used to have have you know with your hooks uh, with that pressure because it's not really wrapped around them very well. Uh, there's a lot of instances where just somebody's actual size uh, can mess up your jujitsu pretty quickly. You know, Byron, I. You, I've been around you for a long time now, and you used to always tell me that size doesn't matter. And now I hear you saying the opposite. I never thought I would ever hear that from you. Yep. Something about me has changed, Gary. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think not being able to get closed guard is a, a really good place to start. And uh, as we've said at other points in this episode, just kind of pick an alternative to work on and you know feet, feet on the hips is great uh there there's ways that you can sort of play the closed guard game without being able to connect your feet together and if you're rolling with a big guy like that that's a, a good opportunity to work on some of that uh half butterfly and and uh transition maybe to spire guard if you're playing in the gi and 
Um, yeah, size can definitely be an issue, and it, but it's a good opportunity to explore some other things. Yeah. Yeah, you're talking about, you know, is you can still use guard even if you can't catch your, you know, connect your legs. And, and I've had that on people where I've had mount and my knees still don't touch the ground, you know, so it's like <laughs> I'm kind of on a log. And what I started doing is going to that frog guard, you know, where I put my feet up almost like I have butterfly hooks and uh, just moving from there. And uh, that was one of the ways I developed it, which is against a guy that I I didn't like to take mount because my knees wouldn't touch. I, just like I was on a, a log that was, you know, would move back and forth. Yeah, I, I guess either uh, putting the hooks in, you're talking about putting them up in the pockets of his hips. or Yes, uh, correct. Tra- yep, yep, yep. yep. Or, then, or transitioning to uh, like a technical mount or something. Yep. But, yeah, just trying to hold regular mount up when you can't touch your knees to the floor isn't going to work. Yeah, that yeah didn't work at all. And I'll never forget the first time I got there, I'm like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> you know, I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. My knees are two inches from the floor and uh, I'm not stable. And nobody's nobody's ever brought this up to me before. What can I do? <laughs> But that's what's great about this is training with a diverse group yeah. of people. And yep. you may not have the person to train with every day. And maybe you're traveling and you experience that for the first time. It's like, man, that didn't work at all. Or that was totally different than I thought it was going to be. But that's you put that in the bank and, uh, and it, take it as a lesson learned. And sure, sometimes it's frustrating uh, you know, being a smaller person rolling with a big person or maybe being the biggest person in class and not getting, you know, not feeling like you're getting a whole great workout. But um, it, it, it's just important to understand that this is just part of the process. If you're constantly getting beat by a bigger person, keep working on your technique. You, if you decide to compete, you don't have to compete against big people. <laughs> that's that's not a big deal. Um, if, and they are pushing you past your your comfort zone by definition if you're experiencing that frustration from a bigger person uh i think a lot of it you know talking to my wife after you know training someone she is frustrated because even though she did something correctly even though you know it it was it was done to her satisfaction it didn't work somebody just muscled out of something and that's part of it um keep working at getting better maybe do something differently or do a different thing entirely and uh, there are ways to dismantle somebody who's much stronger th- than you. But when they also know jiu-jitsu, it's pretty tough. <laughs> I like what you said there, Byron. Sometimes, you know, we do everything right and it's still not working. And, you know, one thing that's always helped me is I always look at that as as an opportunity versus getting upset. And before I used to get upset, it's like, hey, how come that didn't work? And now I look at it as a way to expand on my jiu-jitsu game it's like okay i did this perfect somebody's really strong and muscled out of it now i got to figure out a new setup a new way to get to that same position and make it work maybe i just need to adjust this adjust that and it will work as byron says it'll allow me to dismantle that person and uh i just like it now because it's almost like i'm I'm taking my car back after, you know, running a quarter mile and I'm trying to tune it up and getting it to run a little bit faster, a little bit better next time. And, and I'm just trying to make my submission a little bit better, uh, each and every time by, by fine tuning it. And, and hopefully, hopefully it'll work that next time. Well, this kind of wraps up what we had in mind for the big versus small or small versus big conversation. Really, it's going to be, uh, training wise, try to use it and think of it as a good thing. Uh, and I guess really more t- focused on talking towards the small people run with the big, um, you know, they are an advantage and it, it goes back to, you know, Gary mentioned, 
you know, we had kind of a bigger, kind of a not super nice big guy that was our one of our early training partners. And we didn't really like him as far as rolling. He was a nice enough guy, but he was he was kind of kind of a pain to roll with. And then one day we had a guy come into the gym, and he was kind of looking to test us and push us and see if we could fight well. And the big guy was like, "Yeah, let's go, man." I'm like, "Oh, that was cool." <laughs> oh, he's here. That's a good thing that he could handle because I was like, "I don't want to fight anybody." And they didn't like fight, but it was a different type of uh, grappling that that uh, I wasn't up for a a guy trying to actually injure me or or to, like test and see if we were a bunch of chumps on the mat. And the big guy stepped up, and it might just be, you know, your big guy. You you eventually become friends with them, and and some other big guy comes in and is kind of not super nice, and like, okay, we got another guy for this, and we've worked with them to get them as good as we can. I don't know. It's kind of that feeling like they're on your team, and that's a big deal. Uh, we didn't really talk about competitive, big versus small, but it it all goes the same way. You know, work on your on your good things and have things that are good that work against people that are big. But uh, yeah, it's that was a fun conversation, gentlemen. Yep, and remember, as Byron says, size does not matter. Now I've cha- you've changed it on me, Gary. Well, uh, if, as Byron used to say, size does not matter. And if you'd like to uh, test that theory out, you can find uh, Byron and Gary in Wichita, Kansas, and go train with them. Uh, always welcome guys coming through town to train with us. I'm south of Houston, uh, and occasionally over in the New Orleans area. So if you're in the south. Uh, or in Wichita, Kansas, let us know, and we'd like to train with you. Hey, Joe, what's going on in Wichita, Kansas, uh, June 23rd, or June 22nd to June 24th? Yeah, so uh, that weekend there will be a BJJ Brick event hosted by Fox Fitness in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, Friday night we'll have open mat. Uh, I should be there. Gary Byron, uh, last I heard both of you guys might make it. Yeah, I will be there. Uh, I, I, I work that day, but I should be able I to get will off. Be there. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we should all be there. I'm flying up that morning, so uh, we'll be on the mats uh, Friday night for open mat. And uh, Saturday, we got Tim Sled and Rolly Delgado. Uh, they'll be bringing some knowledge. Looking forward to hearing from both of those guys. And then Sunday, the BJJ Brick team will be bringing some uh, instructions, some good times and chokes and jokes, and uh, it's going to be a good weekend. Yeah, the schedule for Saturday, uh, the big day, uh, 10 to 11.30. There's a seminar, a kid's seminar at that point. You know, definitely a message call or email to register. You can email foxfitnessbjj, F-O-X, 1-X, fitnessbjj at gmail.com. 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock is a gi workshop with Tim Sled. Don't want to miss it. 3 to 5, no gi workshop with Roly Delgado. Another one you don't want to miss. 6 to whenever. Barbecue and beers. What a what an awesome day. Yep, we're going to have a great time uh, with the kids. We, we've been forgetting to mention that there is a kids seminar, and I'm, gonna, I'm really excited to watch Tim Sled teach a, a kids seminar and see how he, how he does this because uh, teaching kids has definitely been something that I've struggled with, and it's just a different thing to do, and I know he's very good at it, and uh, coming from autos, uh, he's got a lot of different things that, that I've probably never seen before, and, and the way he runs a, a kid's class will be very cool to see. So I plan on just showing up and watching, taking a few pictures. I'll uh, probably doing that all weekend anyway. Uh, and that's going to be the kids' one. Since we haven't mentioned, I'm doing it at 10 o'clock to 11.30, and it's kind of a separate thing. So obviously the kids don't need to register for the whole seminar. Uh, that's when you would email foxfitnessbjj at gmail.com 
and just contact Jake about that and see again kind of how to set that up. And it'll be, I know we have a good group of kids here in Wichita that'll, that'll be attending. And if you come from out of town, that's awesome as well. If you bring in the kids, uh, it should be a lot of fun. Um, trying to figure out the best time. I don't know, it may schedules on Sunday, but maybe uh, after the, uh, the BJJ Brick guys do their thing, our thing, uh, you know, get showered and cleaned up and, and maybe maybe lunch together and uh, find I'm working on finding a location to do a kind of a live recording uh, in front of a a little bit of an audience for an episode would be kind of a fun thing to try. Um, also, got one of our Patreon supporters, Mindy's coming from Kansas City, and she wants everybody to know, especially the ladies. Hey, there'll be some ladies in attendance at the BJ Brick event. So if you're on the fence about uh, well, will it be the only girl there? No. <laughs> There'll be a handful, of course, and uh, you'll be able to, to partner up with anybody uh, you know that, that wants to partner with you, I suppose. I don't know how to say it, but uh, I know Mindy will be there, my wife will be there, and a handful of the ladies from Fox Fitness will be there as well. So, uh, yeah, you won't be the only woman there if you're questioning that. Uh, the answer is there'll be several, and, and they'll be having fun. So Girls on the Mat, uh, Kids Seminar, something for everybody. Uh, Gary, I, I do think that's a little bit of bad news for you. Those kids are going to get tough. They're going to get better. <laughs> and your success your success in the kids' class is probably going to go down the next week. Well, I think I'm not going to show up for any more kids' classes after the 23rd. So uh, I should be safe. You know, I always dodge good competition. <laughs> yep, Gary, he's, he's clever about when to not even show up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Speaking of clever... Our own Byron Jabara is pretty darn clever. And, uh, Byron, this week uh, you have your own article. I did uh, it, Tell guys. us about it there, Byron. Okay. How was uh, that for a segue? <laughs> Very nice, Gary. Um, Thank you. I'm reading this book called Practice Perfect and uh, 42 Rules for Getting Better at Getting Better. It's a really cool book, not about jujitsu, but about the idea of practice and what to do differently and how to change your practice and, and that sort of thing. And I kind of got this idea from that and I put it into the jujitsu world and, and gave some examples. But the idea that critiquing somebody and correcting somebody, that's two different things. And it may seem like, well, it's about the same thing. Totally different things as far as results. Yes, you're trying to help them and you're trying to coach them and guide them. But the critique is when, you know, Gary Kamora's me, and then he tells me, yeah, I did that because when you tried to escape, uh, your elbow came out a little bit, or you shouldn't have turned it that way, that was the wrong way to turn, or whatever he gives me for advice. That's a critique. That's the feedback I desperately need. <laughs> I need some help because he's Kamora me unanswered a million times, uh, and I appreciate the feedback. But the correct, to correct somebody and make that correction is a is a great tool. So Gary Kamora's me finishes it, and you know I get tapped. Uh, or you know at this point I know he's basically got it. So he could he could set it up, start to finish me, and then I, I hey tap and he, hey let's Byron let's rewind a little bit. So we just literally rewind what we did. He's back in position of getting the setup Kamora, and he could tell me right here you need to do this. I don't know what this answer to this question is, but. Right here, you need to turn your shoulders down or rotate your, your body or, you know, don't worry about fighting your hands. Fight the position of your arm. That's a correction. He's correcting me in what I'm doing. And it's a problem that I've had 
consistently, and he's changing my game. And then he says, let's go. Make this correction and let's go. Or focus on this idea and let's do it. I'm going to come over you again if you don't do it. And we get to do it again. And he may come over me again, or maybe I bust out of it using his own advice. And that's the difference between a critique is telling somebody what they did wrong and correction is going back and letting them fix it and get that muscle memory changed. See what it looks like when they do it right. See what it feels like when they do it right. And, uh, you know, I'm reading this book and I'm like, this has to be explained to the jiu-jitsu world because I think we're all good about critiquing somebody, giving them a little tip, telling them how it worked. But it's but saying the words, hey, stop right here, pause. Let's rewind a little bit and I'll show you what you did wrong. And let's go again from that same spot. That's a hugely powerful tool to hugely powerful. That's a great way to say that. It's a very important tool to help people develop jiu-jitsu in their own game. That's all I got, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. That's hugely, hugely effective. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be huge. Well, I can no, tell you I... that's, that's the way I learned. Um, and I do that, you know, in the giving and receiving position. Well, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> are, you, getting... are you pitching, are you pitching yeah. or are you catching? <laughs> or like in the submitting or not getting submitted. There you uh, go submitting or getting submitted and that's the way i learn it you know if i'm catching somebody with it you know i'm gonna critique them and, and tell them how to get out of it but we're also gonna then do that correction that byron's talking about we're gonna get that muscle memory we're gonna do it and same thing when you know i'm rolling with joe and joe catches me with something and and it's like hey joe how do i get out of this joe tells me how to get out of it and then we're we're going to drill it a couple times so i i know it and then uh you know then we're going to get back to rolling and uh but i'm going to keep drilling it you know for weeks on end so i i get to that point and uh you know i think that's the way like byron said to learn uh, to get better uh you know practice is is what's going to help yeah i would say that uh, i don't think critique is necessarily a bad thing i no. think they each have their place it's it's hard to uh if if I roll with you and I say, hey, hey, give a look at my guard work and tell me what you think, there there may be so many issues you can't fix them all in a, in one training session. But you can offer a general critique and point some things out, and I think that has some value. Um, and then, like you said, if if it's a simple thing, if it's something we can fix right now, let's take the time to do that. Yeah, well, I'm not saying never critique somebody, but just the idea of having them go back and do it again. Um, yeah, it may be more geared towards fine-tuning things, but uh, letting them experience it done correctly, I think it's a big deal. So the article is on our website, bjjbrick.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, I think it's a simple concept that may kind of be a little deceptive as far as the effectiveness of, of correcting somebody letting them hit that play button and go live with it and and actually feeling the difference. Um, check out the book as well if you're looking for different coaching ideas. I've, I've written a couple of articles that haven't been released yet. Maybe they have by the time this is out, but uh, from the ideas from the, the book, Practice Perfect, I really enjoyed that one. It's not, a, not, a, not a long book, not a hard one to read either. It's, it's a good coaching book. Is there a lot of pictures, Byron? No, I mean, I have more pictures on the article than I think the book has in its entirety. <laughs> and I made this article also a video, kind of hitting oh. it, it three sides. Um, I'm going to try to do that as well. Anytime I write an article, turn the camera on, sum it up in like five minutes, and that way I could 
do a video of it because I think I, I do a little bit better job of saying what I think opposed to writing it down in an article. But anyway, it's just so much easier to crank out a four-minute video than it is to write a six-paragraph article. <laughs> Might yeah, as well do awesome. a video. <laughs> so, so the video is the Cliff Notes. So uh, I, I didn't know you had the video out yet, so I'll watch it later. But I thought it was a great article. I like the way it was written uh, to the point, and, and it's a valid point for sure. A uh, quick note about our social media. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and those are our two biggest ones. And just mentioned our article has a video companion with it. Uh, go check out the article or go find the video, and then they each link to each other. Man, that's convenient. I also have a app, which if you're not used to listening to podcasts, maybe you're sharing this with somebody. You have an amigo that likes podcasts or that doesn't really understand podcasts. Get them, have them get the app, and that should be an easy way to get that under their telephone. I want to give a quick shout-out to our Patreon supporters. They are have been hugely big. <laughs> <laughs> they have been tremendous in, in helping us grow this podcast to where it is today. I want to thank Mark, David, and Brad uh, for being continued Patreon supporters, and it, it means a ton that you're, that those guys would, would say, hey, yeah, I want to support this podcast and help it grow. I'm only pitching a buck or two per episode and uh, lending my financial support means a ton to us, guys. So if you want to make us help us out and help us grow, uh, there's a link in the show notes about Patreon where you can pitch in a dollar or two per episode and it helps us a ton. So check that out if that's something you want to do. Uh, I've had a great week uh, talking about... Uh, uh, people, you know, big people and small people on the mats. I think this is one we probably should have covered a while ago. Uh, maybe we've talked about it. I know we've talked about it like in little segments, but I have a full episode on this thing. This was great, guys. Okay, uh, time for our audio book of the week. Uh, Byron's working on a good one. It's called Over the River and Through the Woods to Grandmother's House We Go, Training Opportunities You Might Find on the Way to Grandma's House. Yeah, this yeah. has been something that I've been really passionate about as far as uh, when you walk in the woods and you've got that destination, you're wanting to get to those cookies, uh, but there's some dangers along the way. You've got to be well trained to handle those. And I don't, okay, I'm already having a little bit of trouble here because I don't know. I think the big bad wolf is Goldilocks. What is the the main culprit of the grandmother's fairy tale? Help me out here, guys. <laughs> well, you do have to worry about the, the big bad wolf. Uh, or... But he hops and he pops Wait. and he blows the house down. No, but, that's not that's not grandma's house, is it? We're butchering this gentleman. <laughs> so the, there what, are there are two different wolves, I think. Okay. One is the yeah. three little pigs, and one is grandma's house. Yeah, but grandma has a wolf too. Yeah, she just doesn't blow the house down. This this one's trying to. Uh, it sneaks steal in, little, eats. Yeah. Yeah, this is a terrible story. Sneaks eats the in porridge. And, and eats uh, the no, porridge. <laughs> that's the Goldilocks one. It sneaks in and somehow replaces grandmother in her place. And you're like, wow, what big teeth you have. Uh, your mother and better to smile at you or whatever it is. And it's actually a wolf the whole time. But the idea that you're on your way to grandma's house, you got to do some training. you got to get ready. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I guess it's kind of a wild place. So, yeah, you're doing your bear crawls, your gator crawls, your gator rolls, and all these different things just on the way. So I think it's a, it's a good idea to be able to train without training partners, which isn't typically effective training. But you could always do a little bit of uh, things, especially if you're away, you know, on the way to grandma's house, you're not, I don't know of any gyms anywhere near my grandmother's where she used to live. So yeah, you're going to be out for a little while. 
still do some of that training do a little bit of maybe the same warm that you do at jujitsu and uh make the most of it so that way when you get to grandma's house you might be a little sweaty but it's mostly your sweat but you are ready and warmed up in case there's a wolf there and that's the big thing it's about getting warmed up before you get there yeah well i like your your article on you know how to make the most of your training in awkward situations like uh you know, tell us a little bit about the, the chapter you have of how to shrimp on the forest floor and not be annoyed by all the pine cones you're shrimping over and uh, poison ivy and stuff like that. So, yeah, talk a little bit about that chapter. I really enjoyed that one. The biggest thing about shrimping on the forest floor is to, you got to have a belt. It may seem a bit stupid, but uh, when you're not wearing your normal grappling clothes, uh, sometimes your pants are a little bit loose. And when you start shrimping and your pants kind of get creeped down a little bit, that pine cone might get a little more friendly than you anticipated. And that's going to make your shrimp uh, be terrible because you experience one pine cone like that and you're never going to want to shrimp again. So just having a belt, keeping the pants up where they need to be, makes your shrimping a lot better in the woods, out of the woods, whatever. And I'm not talking about a black belt or a brown belt or blue or white. Uh, just a a pants retention system that is the belt. Ooh, Even the suspenders pants. would work. I like that pants retention system. Oh, I've yeah. heard of that one. Yep, that's another word for belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I don't know about suspenders. Can you imagine taking a guy's back and he's wearing suspenders? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about loop jokes. That would be great. <laughs> so that's all. It's a pretty simple book. I think it's really aimed at helping. Uh, I don't want to say kids because the whole belt idea was pretty adult, but uh, <laughs> helping yeah. people get to well, where they want to go if it's through the woods. Yeah. Well, you know, the last thing I would like to talk about on that one there, I know you're trying to get off the <laughs> get out of here and uh, get to a safe place because Byron, you know, likes to go to a safe place. But, you know, you had the, uh, man, I forgot what I was going to say. That's my favorite that, part about jujitsu. That's my right favorite there. part about about talking <laughs> with my grandmother is she would be mid sentence. She forgets and what then, she's going to yeah, say. I, it, uh, yeah. So, but she's still smiling and having a good time. That's one of the that's one of the things that. Oh man, that's terrible. But uh, I don't know. But you know, no, I was going to go back. To okay, the, let's hear uh, it, Gary. No, to to the to what you would uh, after you trained. You know, you would go in and uh, you talk about nutrition, about, uh, you know, ways to recover from your training session of shrimping on uh, pine cones and poison ivy and, you know, just the uh, nutrients, you know, the macros and the micros that your mom gave you, your grandma. So tell us a little bit about that, like what she would feed you to uh, replenish yourself. Okay, this this whole chapter is just totally out of frustration. You get to grandma's house, you're exhausted, you're trying to recover uh, does she have Gatorade? Sure, but it's from the 70s. Uh, not the biggest fan of that. Uh, oh, look, a chocolate chip cookie. That's going to be delicious. So I get my chocolate chip cookie. Thank you, Grandma. I get a little bit of milk. I sit down at the table. I'm all the happy little Byron ready to go. Take a bite in that thing. And it's raisins. Oh, man. Don't That's get, an yeah. trick. Don't get me started <laughs> on this. This is the worst thing ever. <laughs> So, but oh, what she was Byron. doing was helping me get a little bit more fruit in my diet. You know, post workout recovery, raisins is what she thought would be best for me. So I ate more raisin cookies than I wanted, and less chocolate chips than I would have liked. But uh, yeah, that was her her way to sneak in a little bit of healthiness into a cookie was raisins. Darn it! 
Yeah, but yeah, that chapter really helped me because uh, one thing I didn't <laughs> know about nutrition, and now I've started having raisins, uh, you know, after I've rolled. Um, so it's definitely done great, and it's uh, definitely uh, made me more regular. Don't pick the raisins up off the first floor and eat though. <laughs> Well said, Joe. That's that's good advice, and that'll be an appendage in the, <laughs> later on in the book. Uh, yeah. yeah, man, had a had a yeah. had a fun time, gentlemen. Uh, stay yeah. sweaty, my friends. Wait, hold on. Oh, no, Gary, one dang last, it. No, one okay. last thing. You know, we we're talking about the nutrition part. Tell us the one about uh, you know in, in your uh, your last chapter where you talked about uh, you uh, ate some mushrooms while you were rolling and. Uh, and uh, about the effects that that mushroom had on you. So let us tell everybody about that. That'll definitely sell this book for you. Yeah, yeah you have I, to tell us about it because the next three pages in the book were just gibberish and pictures. Well, that's true. <laughs> what happened, and it, it all makes sense. Now, when I got there, my grandmother had a big nose like a wolf. Had had was She was all furry and had giant teeth. You know what? I think those mushrooms kind of did me in and, and I was hallucinating some things. And, you know, she called me when I got home, make sure I made it home okay. And a wolf wouldn't have done that. But I thought for a while there that grandmother had turned into a wolf. And I ate some snacks so along you, the way. So did you did you beat your grandmother thinking it was a wolf? I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I need, I need to, to go check on her, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely, Byron. We should get out of here so you can go <laughs> over the hill and through the woods. This is one of my better audiobooks that actually worked out okay with some uh, help from Gary not letting me go too soon. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to go to Grandma's house. Train hard, train smart, train at Grandma's house, and we'll see all the that. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the big guys, but what if you're the small guy? What do you, uh, you know, what do you do? Uh, how do you survive? Um, you know, it, that's a terrible segue. Start that <laughs> you, over. But, you butchered that one, brother. <laughs> uh, that wasn't terrible, but... <laughs> that was wow. terrible. Take another stab at it. <laughs> Before we go, how about your audio book, Byron? Yeah. What do we have? When it's hard to find a training partner, gator rolls, bear crawls, swamp monsters, and other... Uh, oh, God, I put you there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, something about the journey to grandma's house would be funny. 